I am Frank Mazapeaker Sr. I'm 2.0. My son is 4.0. Leaner, meaner, younger, better, faster, taller, but I use hairspray, he doesn't. <laughs> oh, I stopped dyeing my hair, so if you don't recognize me, I am the same guy with the same accent. Uh, praise the Lord. I'm glad to be here. Can I do what I normally do in my own church? I usually, if there's something going on outside of our church in way of end times or sign of the end times, I usually sit aside just a few minutes to address them, and I've noticed some things that are going on. Uh, as I've said to the 9 o'clock service, I don't normally preach out much. I usually just I don't like preaching out. I only come when your pastor calls me or my pastor calls me. My pastor has about four or six churches, and I preach in those congregations, but I prefer to just stay within my own boundaries of what the Lord has uh, asked me to, to preach to. So every Sunday morning, if something happened over the weekend or that week that I see as something that's important, I feel like I need to share it with the congregation. Uh, I'm sure that you've noticed that there's been a, an enormous insurgence of migration, immigrants just pouring into uh, the European area, coming out of Syria. I know that some of you are not really good at your geography and you don't know where Syria is and you don't know where Europe is, but just please know that there's millions, literally millions of people running away from the Middle East and pouring into Europe. Some of these people that are pouring into Europe are not well-intended people. Some of them, a lot of them, are very evil people that have intentions of doing harm to, like, let's just say, some European nations like Germany and England and etc. Uh, they are coming in with radical Islamic beliefs and I can go on and on, of course, I can go on for days, literally, on this subject, because uh, end times is really my candy stick. I feel like we are all watchmen on the wall, yeah. that we need to address these things, and maybe there's only one watchman in your family, and usually you receive a lot of mockings, because you see almost everything as end times. Uh, I was joked on by the church, because the Texans made the playoffs, that was a sign of the end times. <laughs> I'm a Patriots fan, and so when the Texans made the playoffs, it's like, wow, the Lord's coming back. <laughs> and so uh, I want you to notice also uh, that when you see an aerial view of all of these millions of immigrants pouring into other countries, lots of changes in population, depopulations, increase in populations, it looks, from an aerial view, it looks like an, a sea, a sea of people or even a river of people. And the Bible says in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation, it says that in the last days, out from the sea will come a beast. Not necessarily a literal sea, but a sea which is tumult or an agitated water or an agitated community, an agitated population. I don't know if you've watched the elections. It's hard for you not to watch the elections, especially with the Donald Trump um, uh, arenas and stadiums, which 
I would pay pay-per-view to watch him. He's so entertaining. I, I did not vote for him. I'm not here to stump because we as Texans, we've already had our turn during the primaries. And uh, Cruz, who I, I voted for, I can say this without being manipulative, I voted for Cruz, um, as did most of the state of Texas did. Uh, and so that we only really have one more chance to, to vote, and that'll be during the general election. And if you're a Republican, you get one candidate. If you're a Democrat, you get one candidate. So I'm not saying anything that is attempting to try to sway you. And it's not my, it's not my style. I'm a pastor, and I believe that we need to be praying for our Oval Office and for the Supreme Court. We need to pray for our legislatures, you know, the Senate and, and the Congress. But if you watch some of the crazy things that are going on in the elections, especially Donald Trump um, speeches and stumpings, uh, you'll see it seems like, once again, a sea of people, 25, 35,000 people coming and people punching each other and yelling and screaming and lots of things happening in the streets. People are, there's a common denominator between the Middle East and our elections, and, I, and this is how I see it. And if I was in my own church, I would say this to them. I would tell them that I see a common denominator, and that is everyone is looking for a leader. Yeah. Everyone is looking for someone to have the answers to all the problems that we're experiencing financially with morality and, and, and um, with religious wars like radical Islam against Christianity. We just need a leader. And so we as a church, we pray for a leader. We, we as a nation, we pray for a leader. We, uh, the Europeans are praying for a leader. Everybody's angry with all their leaders. So it's an agitation, if you would. And so among the agitated sea, if you would, of chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, the Bible says that a man will rise up out of the sea. And this man will come, and this is the Antichrist. This man will come with great charisma. This man will come with answers to the religious plight, the economic plight, the financial, and on and on it will go. And this man will actually begin to have a very large, powerful standing army. It'll be the armies of the Antichrist. And it'll be an alliance of many nations, ten nations all. And this is very soon, because the entire world is looking at default. The entire world is looking at a, a, mix, a mixed religion being brought together by the Vatican, which is one religion, where everybody is being brought together under one banner. And it's not Christianity, it's not Jesus Christ. It's under the banner of the word God. And God is not a name. The one that we serve, his name is Jesus. And there's only one name given among men, the Bible says, whereby we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. And that name, the Bible, gives us a warning in Matthew, also in the book of Luke, Matthew 24, Luke 23, that people will hate you in the last days for his name's sake, using the name of Jesus Christ in public. So I want you, in closing for this, and then we'll get to our sermon, I want you to keep a watchful spiritual eye. When you're watching the elections, as Christians, you shouldn't be so caught up with one man over another man, because what's about to happen is going to happen no matter if your man or your woman is going to be put into office, because the Bible says that in the end... Uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So these prophecies of this man coming, this antichrist and this false prophet, that they will come. 
And I believe the scriptures are saying in the book of uh, 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 2, verses 1 through 4, I believe that once we have identified or the, the Antichrist has been revealed, that's when I believe the rapture will take place, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I pray as a pastor in your life, as the bishop over your church area, I, I pray that you find yourself ready that you are living for God and that you're living for Jesus Christ and keep a watchful eye for your family and keep a watchful eye for your, fam your friends, neighbors, relatives, and co-workers because there's a possibility that only you are the one that when you're watching CNN or Fox News, when you're watching the, the headlines in a drudge report, you're the one that the Lord is revealing these things to, not possibly your friends or family. And if you're keeping quiet with with the fear of being teased or mocked or finding yourself as a religious zealot, I want you to know that, that you should be worn proudly. I am always teased. I'm always mocked because I, I, I associate everything. But as a watchman on the wall, much like maybe many of you, uh, sometimes we hear something out there spiritually and it may be a proverbial bunny rabbit behind a tree rustling up all the bushes. We, we made a mistake, but we heard something. We made a mistake and we saw something. But we're not going to miss it every time. When we're watching and we're listening, the Bible says, watch and pray. Everybody say watch. watch. Everybody say pray. pray. This whole group didn't do one thing. So let's all say watch. watch. Everybody say pray. Thank you so much. Grab your Bibles if you would. Hold it up over your heads and repeat after me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. And I will never be the same. I'm about to receive... The incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Opening up to the book of Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter number 3. I want to preach to you about this thought. I hope that when you walk away, this is what you're going to get. When you go to your car and go to your homes, I'm hoping that I might be able to clear up those moments in your life where you have been disappointed with God, where you've prayed for someone not to pass away and they, and they died, where you've prayed for some money to handle a bill and it seemingly didn't come in, where you prayed for a relationship to be repaired and it wasn't repaired, where you prayed for possibly somebody to be healed of their sickness, and they continue to be perpetually sick. I also want to pray for you, and I want to preach to you for those of you that feel like God is way too slow. And I have to say to you, he purposely is way too slow. Way too slow to react to your prayers, and way too slow to react to your requests. I also want to say that many of us, including myself, of course, that when we pray, we pray so limited that when we begin to pray after this sermon, I'm hoping that you're going to provide God with no options 
that you're not going to provide God with any remedy, that you're going to let God be God in your life and let him make those decisions himself concerning your prayer request. Here's the scripture. It's in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 3, and verse number 20. It says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Those two words together are really difficult to say. But exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. Let's all say ask. Yes. And seek. I'm sorry, and think. Let's all say think. Yes. Everything that we ask he can do it way beyond anything that we've asked and anything that we think, beyond our imagination, according to the power that worketh in us. I want you to trust me here this morning, uh, this afternoon. Man, do you feel like you felt lost a whole hour's sleep? Maybe it's just me, but it, I feel like I've lost a whole hour. There's something amazing about God, and that is that he is the only one of his species. Now, you and I, we're humans. Uh, we have many of us. There's billions of us. But God is the only one that's like him. The Bible says, I've looked to my left, and I've looked to my right, God said, and there is no one like me. There's no one beside me. God will never get smarter. God will never be more enlightened. He is God. God has never had a beginning. See, to me, that's in incomprehensible. How do you not have a beginning. I cannot wrap my head around that. There is no beginning of God. God doesn't have a mother and God doesn't have a father. He just keeps going backwards and backwards into time before there was time. Before there was anything, there was God. See, for me, I can't get, I can't understand that. God is infinite. He's, in, he's incomprehensible. God is limited to nothing. I heard a preacher say once that God is only limited, God is limited to the physical laws that he has set up, like gravity and things like that. That's just, that's balderdash. That is not true. God is limited to nothing. He can do anything and he can do all things. The Bible says that he has created all things for himself and by himself, and by him do all things consist. In other words, whatever is swirling around, like atoms and electrons, I don't understand any of that stuff, but atoms and neutrons and electrons, all those things that are consisting, he is the God of that. Right. I heard that every cell is like a factory. Well, I don't understand any of that, but for you and I, we are made up of all these cells. God made all that. God knows everything that you're thinking. He knows the past, the present, and the future, all at the same time. He is not limited by being late. He's never early. He's never late because God doesn't have a wristwatch. God doesn't have a clock. God is not held down by any of these things. But you and I are. And many of us are held down based upon how little we ask and how little we think. Many of us have no comprehension on talking to an infinite universe maker, a star slinger, the one that takes the earth and spins it on his finger. It's incomprehensible when you refer to him. You and I have no ability to, to plan or to devise an answer to your prayer. I have to say that again because this is going to be the catalyst of the sermon. I'm going to try to take you to some place you've never been before, so please trust me. God is not going to necessarily answer your prayers based upon the remedy you provide him. I learned years ago never to provide the remedy with the problem. 
If you have a husband that wants to leave you, don't provide the remedy. If you're looking for a boyfriend to marry or a girlfriend to marry, don't make a long list of everything you expect out for that girl or out for that man, the man that you never met. A long list of nine things. I want him tall. I want him dark. I want him handsome. Oh, I want him blonde. I want him blue-eyed. I want him six foot four, and, I, and all this kind of stuff. And I want him to always smell good. And, 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 and he—he's just—he he doesn't grow any hair in his body face. He's always fine. He's always lovable. He's. Please, I'm begging you. Please, uh, God does. God will send the man or the woman into your life that is perfect for you. Because he doesn't go based upon the outward look, but he goes based upon the inward. He knows what's best for you and I. I know what you're thinking. I just want him to send me a handsome guy. I just want him to send me a pretty girl. We can work all those other things out later. I understand that. I get that. I totally comprehend it. I'm not like living in another world. But I, I'm telling you, in the end... God knows exactly how to handle your problem. Just don't provide the, the remedy. Like, for instance, I was counseling a man some time ago, and, and um, uh, his uh, wife um, was giving him some trouble, uh, so he said. And as they were sitting down on the couch, I said, how can I help you? And so he said, I've been praying that either God kills her or God fixes her. I says, that's it. Those two options, that's it. Just kill her or fix her? Because obviously she needs a lot of fixing. By the way, he was sitting there and he was eating dip. Dripping like this. Excuse me. I asked her, excuse me, do you ever kiss him? And uh, she says, when I have to. And I looked at him and I says, you know, I can't imagine, I'm from the north, so dip is kind of like out there for me. No offense to those of you that dip with the styrofoam cup and the spitting thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, bad pastor, I, know, I shouldn't have said. <laughs> but how in the world do you expect a girl to enjoy that when you've got all these little coffee ground looking things running around in your mouth? So I said, let's get back to the options that you provided God. You've only provided God two options. Is that right, sir? Yes, killer or fixer. I said, you do know that God has more options. Because he's God. And I have to say that to you and I, uh, uh, both uh, whenever I pray. I, I, I have a habit like you, especially men. Men are more goal-oriented. Men are more answer-oriented. And whenever we talk to women, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we don't realize that women are not necessarily looking for an answer. They're just looking for someone to talk to. And usually a man will say, well, here's what we need to do. We just need to make a phone call. I can fix that. And, and then they start crying. And you go, what? What did I say? What, what, what did I do? I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen to me. And of course, you as a guy, you're just like, uh, you're just hitting your head in the, with a frying pan, ping, ping. Uh, but, but with God, God doesn't need some ideas. He doesn't need a think tank with you. Ooh, this is a tough one. Let's, let's work this thing out with a whiteboard. Mm. Let's go, okay, let's try some of these other ideas. Let's go uh, A, B, and C, and if C doesn't work, we'll go to D. No, God knows exactly what to do. And so the name of my sermon today is called A God Idea 
is a good idea. A God idea is a good idea. It's not the reverse. A good idea is not necessarily a God idea. Because when you and I are trying to come up with a good idea to save a marriage or to bring a wayfaring teenager back or to get a job or to find a new career, it's not, you may have a good idea, but it may not necessarily be a God idea. What we want is a, is a God idea. The problem that we have in America is, is that we don't think and we don't pray and we don't ask for something that is so unbelievable that God can do. Right. We think within the framework of our abilities, our possibilities. But when God does something, it's the impossible. See, that's the thing about God. God will make sure he does the impossible in your life so that you can clearly see that had to be God. Because that's a God idea. And whenever God has an idea, it's not a stinky idea. If God says, well, how about this? No, 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 you're way off, you're way off. I mean, God doesn't have a bad idea. God has a good idea. When he's planning and devising things in your life, it's always good for you. It's never bad for you. God doesn't plot against you. God doesn't think evil for you. God doesn't ignore you. I know you think he does, but he doesn't. In America, we have answers for almost every problem. However, over in third world nations, they have answers for very little. They have very little answers for problems in their life because they have so much poverty and, and very little education. So they have to rely on God. And if you've ever been overseas to a third world nation, you'll notice, notice that there's a lot of healing. Even people raised from the dead, opening the blinded eye, deaf ears are unstopped, lame walk. You see this commonly because of why? They have to believe in God. They have no remedies. They have no options. But with human beings in America, we're so blessed. We have scientific breakthroughs, technological breakthroughs. We've got medical breakthroughs that actually cause us to circumvent God. We don't need him. And if you're wealthy, if you do well financially, you're not struggling. And if you've got a good marriage and you don't comprehend how it is to have a bad marriage, we often circumvent God. So God, this is the bad part, will put you in a position where you need him. Where you have to have him. But the have to have him part is usually the only answer is an impossible answer. We, we would not conceive. The Bible says that you don't have, we don't have the ability to ask. We don't have the ability to even think of that kind of an option. You know, you and I don't realize this, but when we read the book of, Mo, um, the book of Genesis and Exodus, we don't realize that it wasn't Moses' idea to part the Red Sea. It was God's idea, because God's idea is a good idea. Here's Moses running in the Exodus away from the Egyptians. And here's the Egyptians on chariots, whipping and riding, coming in. Yeah! And here's the Moses and the Israelites running. They've got four million men, women, and children, and oxen, and, and cattle, and carts, and everything you can imagine. And their back is up against the Red Sea. There's nowhere to go. They can go to the left, they can go to the right, but these Egyptians, they're really mad. They, the, their God just killed 
all the firstborn Egyptian children. So they're really ripping. They want to kill the Israelites. And so Moses didn't go, okay, we're in really bad shape. Get out the whiteboard. Get out the Sharpies. Get out the, the Expos. And, and let's get some stuff on the... Uh, no idea is a bad idea. Come on, everybody. Give me, just throw it. Come on. How do we get out of this? There's no answer to this. We need a, a God idea to get out of this. It wasn't Moses' idea to take his staff and say, I'm gonna, just going to part the Red Sea and forget about it. It wasn't his idea. It was God's idea. Because Moses said, I got no options here. And God says, what's in your hand? Just a staff. He says, stretch it over the Red Sea. He stretched it over the Red Sea and it parted. The Bible says that the, that the waters were like walls on both sides. That they walked on dry ground. I can promise you, Moses didn't think about that. Mm, that's a good idea. Part the Red Sea. Yes. When Noah was in the world, he was the only righteous man on the entire face of the earth. And as a matter of fact, everybody was sinful. And while they were being so sinful, brothers and sisters, Noah really would have done a lot better had all the sinful people just gone away. As a matter of fact, you can read it in the book of Hebrews that Noah was a preacher. He preached to these people while he was building the ark. But nobody was going to be converted. It wasn't Noah's idea. He said, I got an idea. Kids, come on over here. In-law's wife, had it with all these people, had it. I'm just going to flood the whole earth. I'm going to tell God, here's my ideas. Flood the whole earth. I'm sorry. That's the only options we got on the table here. It wasn't his idea. It was God's idea. Because that would never have crossed my mind. And when, do you have a problem right now? Are you struggling with something financially? Are you struggling in your relationship? Are you struggling with some sickness in your body? Are you struggling with some type of mental illness, like a depression? I want you to know that your ideas stink. <laughs> and his ideas are great. You're looking at a guy that prides himself with finding options. But my options are putrid compared to God's idea. Right. Yeah. I, I can give you an example of why it's so important to listen to me. Do you know the number one reason why people commit suicide? It's because they have run out of options, some viable options. They only see one last option, and that is to kill themselves. And this is the reason why often children or grandchildren of suicidal parents often use suicide as an option as well, because it becomes a viable option. Once a person has decided to actually take their life, they start to plan a suicide. And then after they plan it, they seem like they have a euphoria about them because now they have an option that's going to work for them. And that's the reason why suicide is so rampant because they ran out of options. I will tell you this. You did run out of options, but God never runs out of an option. God's idea is a lot better than our idea. God's idea is a good idea. And I know it frustrates you to pray, but God is going to wait until you are flat on your back because that's the only time that you're ever going to look up. He does the same thing to me. 
If I were to list to you the number of things I have been through, from heart surgery, drilling two holes in my heart, through divorce, through near death in, uh, in flight, 10 years of the military, I, I could go on and on and share with you things that I've seen, things that I've heard, things that have happened to me personally. I want you to know, in, through church splits and people that have done terrible things to my friends, neighbors, relatives, and co-workers, I have learned that God's ideas for me work out a lot better than my ideas for me. God can only be pleased by your faith invested in Him that He is going to work it out. You know, whenever you're dealing with somebody as a human and you walk into their office and you have a problem, you tell the person your problem, and they will sit there and they will go over the options. But that's not how you do God. When you walk into God's office, you just tell him the problem and just say, I believe that you've got this handled and thank you very much, and you leave knowing he's got it. You just walk out, he's got it. It doesn't mean you can't keep going back in the office and tell him the same problem again, but telling him the options will cause you to miss his greatness. That's why sometimes our scenario, our challenges get worse and worse because we keep thinking we did it. We keep thinking it wasn't him. It would have, like for instance, let's pray that you get a windfall of money sent to you in the mail. So you open up the, le the, the letter and, and you've got money. And then the devil tells you, you see, that would have happened anyways before you prayed because that was already on its way while you were praying for it. You see, God is going to ensure that there's no way in the world you can ever account for that until you say that had to be God. There's no, has anybody ever said that before? That, 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 had, that had to be God. What is your role? What is your role in asking God for help? Well, let me use the guitar if you would. Uh, I can't work that one. Where's, where, where do you crank it? Uh, oh, there you go. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <clears throat> and the cat's in the cradle. No, oh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to play anything. I just want to show you something. When I was nine years old, I was a Catholic, and I was an altar boy, and my mother put me in guitar lessons in Boston, Massachusetts, and I was taught every single Tuesday after school by a Catholic nun named Sister Cecilia. And I would go over to the convent, and I would go into the music room, and I would sit down as a nine-year-old boy, and I remember my very first lesson. And the lesson was, this Frankie, actually, they call me Francis, don't use that, please, I, I hate that name, <laughs> Francis, oh, this is called the Big E, Big E, now this is called the little E. That was easy. Sister Cecilia says, now you, Francis, Master Francis, actually, is what she called me. Master Francis, now you go ahead. I said, okay, I can do that. That's the big E. That's the little E. And then she started to show me how to tune a guitar. Back in those days, we didn't have all these little electronics where it does it pretty much for you. We had just to rely on our ears. Not like your musicians can't do this. 
because they're, they're, they're second to none. They, they're amazing musicians. As a matter of fact, as I mentioned toward the 9 o'clock service, when I watch musicians, I, I love watching all the musicians. I love the percussion and the keyboard and all that, and uh, I've, I've dabbled in all that, just like many of you have, but I keep my eye on the guitar players most of the time uh, because I'm so intrigued with watching them. I don't know how they do it, but they have their eyes closed, and, and they're all over the place. And how do they do that? I mean, I'm always like this. But I did get a hold of how to tune a guitar. I learned that the big E could, oops, <laughs> could tune the next string. The next one, the next one, no, there you go. So I learned that this E string, as long as I got this E string right, as long as I got this E string in tune, then all the rest of them just fell in line. As long as I handled myself and I began to realize through Revelation that the little E was me. That as long as I kept me in line, I understood the scripture. That seek ye first the kingdom of God and all, and all of its righteousness. And then all of these things shall be added unto you. And I feel that way about when you're seeking the Lord. Yes. Provide the Lord, Father, this is me, the little E. And I'm doing my hardest, I really am, in my life. Do you hear that? Pretty much everything I've ever done, Father, is for you. Everything I'm doing, I'm trying. I really am trying. Every now when I get out of tune, sometimes it gets out of tune. But then I, I, I get better, Father. It gets back into tune. But Father, I have a problem. And my problem is this or that. I'm doing the best I can to keep this straight. But I'm not going to provide you a, the answer to my problem. Because your answers are better for me than my answers. Can you say praise the Lord to that? Give the Lord a great big hand clap, can you? I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Are you the one that's going overseas? Are you in the military? Well, I served 10 years, but I, I wrote a desk for 10 years. So you're going overseas. I pray in Jesus' name that God will keep you safe. They'll surround you with a head of protection in Jesus' name. <clears throat> and so I, I have to say that I began to learn that my taking care of myself and keeping myself right Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so you shall save both yourself and them that hear thee. I began to understand that it wasn't my role to get myself out of problems. It wasn't my role any more than it was the role of Moses and the children of Israel to get themselves out of Egypt. It was God that got them out of Egypt. It was God's idea. Mo, uh, Noah was released from all the filthiness of the entire earth because of the God idea. And God can do the same thing for you. Are you surrounded by people that are, are dangerous? Are you surrounded by people that are not good for your spiritual walk? God can do things for you. But often, unless you realize this, it's going to really hurt in your life. God will insist that you know that it is Him. 
And in the book of Isaiah, if you would, I'll show you a scripture here in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 20 where it is so important that God knows that you know that he did it. It says here, that they may see and that they may know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this and the Holy One of Israel hath created this. And so what I'm saying to you is that sometimes God drags it out just a little bit so that you can clearly see that had to be God because a God idea is a good idea. I have to say that when Mary and Martha was calling Jesus and telling them Lazarus is very, very sick, hurry, hurry to him and come and heal him. Jesus heard the message and refused to go. He ignored it. Thank you. Thank you for the message. And waited two days away. He was not in Capernaum. He was in another town. Here's Lazarus taking his last breath. Is Jesus, is Jesus here yet? No, honey, but we sent a message and he knows about it. And I don't know where he is, but he, he better get here. Have you ever been hanging on for somebody to call? Hanging on for your pastor to visit you in the hospital? Hanging on for somebody to send you some money through Western Union? Hanging on for somebody to give you a word in due season? Hanging on for a good report from the doctors and it never comes? The anger usually is directed toward the person that should have came with the answer. But Jesus Christ purposely didn't come. Then he found out two days later that Lazarus died. He still didn't come for another two days because he had the intentions of raising him from the dead, but he wanted to make sure that he was good and dead. <laughs> that he wasn't going to get up. I don't know if you know this, but back in the medieval days, people would die, but they weren't really dead because we didn't know really how to tell if somebody was dead or not. So what they would do is they would take the, the person that died and they would put them on top of a table in their house and they would stay up all night just kind of saying, he looks dead to me, I don't know. Uh, let's just wait. And so they would eat food. And this is where our wakes came from. You kept awake to see if he would move. Now, I think he's dead. And so you would, you would bury him. Have you ever heard of the old saying, that's a dead ringer? The dead ringer, maybe some of you know this, that once you buried the person, what they would do in medieval days is they would tie a string around the dead man's thumb and they would run the string up six feet above the ground after they buried him and attach it to a bell. And when the dead man comes to, he would start pulling the string. Beep, 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 beep. My God, I'm not dead. I'll kill you. You I'll get you. You knew I wasn't dead. I was snoring. And so they would, they would tell, oh, my God, I had a feeling the guy wasn't dead. And then, carry on. I worked hard for that story. <laughs> And so when Jesus showed up with Mary and Martha, when Jesus showed up, they said they were, they were ticked off. They were a little bit irritable with the Son of God for being late. So i got to ask you this question as a sidebar. Has God ever been late on you? Has God ever been purposely late on you? Yes. Why? Because he wants you to know that there's no way that anybody could possibly help you. God has a way of shutting down everybody's telephone, not physically, but 
in, in, in so many ways, emotionally. Like, my pastor doesn't call. My best friend didn't call. My boss knows that I'm in trouble. He doesn't call. She doesn't call. They don't call. Nobody's come to the rescue. God has a way of causing you to be disappointed with everybody. And when the dust settles, there's only one person standing, and that is God. Because he wants you to know that he is the only one that can do this. So Mary and Martha hurt his feelings. He says, you know, if you would have shown up when I told you, and I know you got the message, I know, because I sent Michael, and Michael came back, and Mike says, I gave, you the, I gave him the message, and he just blew me off. And then when I sent another message to you telling you that he died, you stayed there two more days. If you had been here, now I'm back into the word, I made up that other stuff, he would have lived. And Jesus said these words, I am the resurrection. And they said, I know, I know, you're the rapture. We believe in the rapture. We believe in a resurrection. Don't you just really not really care to hear that sometimes when somebody has passed away that you'll see them when you die in heaven? You kind of just want to see them right now. I don't really care about the rapture. That, that's lots of years in the head. I, I just, just wish you were here now. You could have laid hands on Lazarus and he could have been healed from his sickness, but no, you were not just two days late. You were two days after he was dead. He goes, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. The Bible says that he wept. He didn't weep because Lazarus was sick and died. He was weeping because of their lack of faith. He walks up to the gravestone. He walks up to the tomb. He says, move the stone. He yells in there. You know the story. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Out comes a dead man. Talk about zombie land. Out comes a dead man. Untie him, unbind his hands, take the, cough, the, 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 uh, the neckerchief, the, the, the handkerchief off of his face, take, unbind his feet, he's alive. Everybody freaked out of his lid because they never would have thought of that idea. The Bible says that he can do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. And this is what God really is. Let me ask you that question once again. How big is your God? What can God do in your life? Do you still persist in being angry or confused at God? Because God has probably put you in this position in the first place. So you'll see him in a much more grander way. In a much more miraculous way. I've been, as I just mentioned, I've been through a lot of heartache and sorrow where God could have fixed it at the very beginning. But that's not God's way because I might miss it. And I'll show you how. I like to drive real fast. I've never been in an accident. I don't put anybody it in harm's way, but I just like to drive fast. Occasionally, somebody's going to get in front of me and they're going to make me drive slower than the speed limit. That drives me crazy. If I, I just pray that the rapture doesn't happen when I'm driving. Because I don't think I'm going to make it. Because what I say and what I do in the window, the banging on the steering wheel, and I do this a lot. I do this in the windshield. When somebody pulls in front of me and makes me drive real slow, I put my hands like this in the windshield and go, really? Really? Did you just do that? Really? And so I look for the opportunity to pull up beside him to look in there. 
And wouldn't you know what it is? Usually some elderly lady driving like this. And I feel really bad. But the, really the bottom line is, is that God saved me possibly from an accident a mile up the road. Slowed me down. Had I been driving at my speed... I would have gotten killed. But God slowed me down with Mrs. McGillicuddy. <laughs> you see, by that, God doesn't really get the glory because I'm mad still. God wants you to say, that had to be God. Can we all say that together? God had to be God. God ha that had to be God. God wants you to know that he did it, but also he wants you to know something else. That he wants to do something new in your life. He doesn't like it when you start to get the hang of him. He likes the unpredictability about God. He likes that because we only know barely a fraction of God. I heard at one time said that our knowledge of God is like a caterpillar crawling over the face of a Rolex watch. And then once it reaches to the other side that the caterpillar comprehends all the mechanisms of how a watch works. That we are the caterpillar and God is the watch. We're crawling over the face of the watch, but we have no comprehension of how God works. So God wants to do something new in your life so that you do not know how God is. Well, here's what I did and God will do the same thing for you. Sometimes he lays hands on somebody and they raise from the dead. Sometimes he takes spittle and he puts it in dirt and he sticks it on people's eyes and they can see. Sometimes he doesn't touch them. Sometimes he sends a healing. He told the soldier, just go home. Your, your daughter, she's healed. Or your servant has been healed. And he never even sees the woman. Sometimes he clears a room out. Everybody get out. You're also lacking of faith. Sometimes the Bible says that he healed them all. Other times where he walks into a town, the Bible says he could perform no works because of their lack of faith. Sometimes when he walks on top of sand, demons run up to him and they throw themselves down on the ground and they cry out for mercy. It's an amazing thing how different God is in his manifestation. So he wants to do something new. So as you go through your challenges... He's not going to give you the same challenge as he did before because now you're good at it. He's going to up it a little bit. Because the Bible says through tribulations and through trials, the Bible says that you learn faith and perseverance. I remember I did a stupid thing one time. I was in the military. I got to hurry up. I'm almost done anyways. I was in the military, and, and I, was, I had just got saved. And I went through a, tri a trial, and I did terrible I was freaking out. I was screaming at God, what are you doing up there? You know, I was doing all kinds of terrible things because I, I didn't know anything. I'm like, I, was a, I was a brand new Christian in Christ, and my pastor, he relocated, so we were without a pastor. So I was in the basement. I was in Michigan. I was in an Air Force base there, and, and it was in the nighttime, and, and there were windows in the basement. And I saw my reflection, and I was praying to God through the window, and I said, this was so stupid. Don't do this. <laughs> I said, okay, I did terrible on that test. I did terrible on that, on that, on that trial. Give it to me again. I, I can do it. Just, just lay it on me. I, I can do it this time. I didn't realize that I was a moron. <laughs> I thought I had strength in me to do something. 
And I am so tired of hearing preachers say, find that strength that's inside of you. There's nothing in you. Everything in you is evil. You've got to find that God in you. You've got to find that Holy Spirit in you. You have no ability to do anything. This is not a motivative seminar, and I'm not shooting at anybody in particular. I'm just sharing with you the word of the Lord. God wants you to know that he did it, but he also wants you to know that he does new things in your life. It's, matter of fact, look at the scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 19. Behold, I do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? In other words, you don't know it right now, but you're about to know it. Something new I'm about to do in your life. A new revelation. A new vision, a new kind of a healing, a new challenge, a new sighting where God just exploded a scripture in your eyes. You would, I've got it. He does new things in your life. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Too often, God will take you by the hand and bring you out in the middle of the desert spiritually and make you feel like you're all by yourself out there. And you know what? You are. And God will grow you. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus Christ himself, as he was growing up, the Bible says that he grew in stature and he grew in wisdom. This is what God is trying to do with you as well. God wants to do a new thing in your life. When the children of Israel were walking across rivers, they came upon one river that was overflowing and flooded, and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they couldn't figure out how to go over the river. The priests didn't come up with any ideas, and neither did Moses. They were very confused on what to do. They were we, we, we can't, uh, it will go underwater, the water will go inside of the box, and this is real bad, and there's no bridges. God came up with an idea. He says that when your feet touch the water of the river, I will stop the river a mile and a half upstream, and you all will walk on dry ground. This was not a priest idea, a Moses idea, or a Joshua idea. This was a God idea, and I have a feeling God has an idea in your life today. As our prayer partners come, will you all stand, please? Thank you, Father. Do you think you have a good idea? Because I want you to know that you cannot possibly think or thought, have a thought. You cannot possibly imagine. You can't devise or you cannot know the perfect idea for you. It's a God idea. There's a family here struggling. You're having a tough time. And you've done everything you could. You've got self-help books. You've got counselors. You've gone to pastors. And you're still in a predicament. Your back is up against the wall. You have no more options. You need a God idea. And things are not going to change in your life. Can I talk to you as an old man? Things will not change in your life until God brings his idea. You say, I've been in this thing, Pastor, for some years. Many of you ladies met my wife. I've been married to her for 21 years the month of February, last, last February. 21 years. Three years after my divorce. For 20 of those 21 years, 
She suffered from a major depression. She did very little going out. I, I literally built this church in Houston without my wife standing beside me. I would go home and tend to her because she couldn't get out of bed. We tried everything. We went to every psychiatrist under the sun. We drove for miles when we heard about a great healer. Nothing. We tried self-help books. We talked to the biggest of preachers. I mean, if you saw them on TV, we were prayed for by those guys, by those women. Sometimes we thought that we were out the other end. We thought we saw the light, that we were finally through this thing, but no. Last September, she got out of bed, and I looked at her, and her eyes looked different. I hadn't seen those eyes look like that since the day I married her. She's bright. She was back. She looked younger. It was like a cloud just passed out of her face and out of her head. It was God. Since then, she has lost 70 pounds. She had gained so much weight because she spent most of her time in bed. She's attempted her life many, many times. She told our church this. Until that day that her and I finally came to the Lord and told him, we've exhausted every avenue. Now we're asking you, help us because we're going down. Can I tell you how difficult it was for every service, for every service that I stood in that front pew without my wife there? Very, very hard. I would just rush home and bring her food from the restaurant. I'd try to feed her, help her to the restroom. Never wanted to go out. Now I can't slow her down. She's running hither and thither and everywhere. It was a God idea. Am I speaking to anybody here? These prayer partners are here with you right now. I'm asking you, will you come and agree with one of these brothers and one of these sisters that a God idea is a better idea than your idea, that you have exhausted every possibility, that you're not going to provide any more remedies to your problem, that your options stink like mine stunk. My wife married a therapist, and I was the worst thing for her. She thought, surely, if I marry a pastor and a therapist, this is the answer to my problems. It was actually the opposite. I just confused her further until the day she finally let it all go, reached out to God, and that next morning, something happened. I want that for you. Won't you come? As the music plays, as the singers sing, I turn this service back over to your church. I hope you've received the word of the Lord. Won't you come?